What up fam, I'm Elena, a certified nutrition coach, personal trainer, and hormone specialist. I'm a former public educator turned holistic fitness coach, and I'm on a mission to disrupt diet culture and educate individuals on how they can heal their gut issues, hormone imbalance, and food relationships caused by chronic dieting, inflammation, and autoimmune or chronic illness. My philosophy for coaching is simple. Eat more, move better, feel amazing, because life is too short to feel like shit. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode 59 of What the Funk. And if you're catching this on YouTube, um, hi, hello. My hair is completely wet. So a bit of a funny story time here. So if you know me, um, and you might, if you are following me on social media, you know that I have naturally curly hair. Well, New Year's Eve, um, I got out of the shower and we were go and I was gonna get ready. Um, we were getting dressed up. We were gonna go to um, Cooper's Hawk, um, which is a restaurant by us with a couple of friends, and then hang out at their house for the rest of the night. And I got out of the shower, brushed my hair, put all the product in it. Which, if you have curly hair, you know what a chore that is. And then I flipped on my hair dryer, and it immediately died. Like it, like the lights flipped on, and then it poof turned out. I, I tried all the different outlets. I tried everything. And this hairdryer was just completely done. So, and I, um, it is now almost a week after the new year and I still have not purchased another hairdryer. <laughs> um, and so I've just been air drying my hair and thankfully it's been turning out really well, but I just feel kind of goofy walking around with wet hair and taking videos with wet hair, um, and doing social media while my hair is still, um, damp. Uh, but it is what it is. And I just am too lazy to go out and buy a new hairdryer. Um, I just hasn't been super on my priority list this week. So if you are watching the YouTube video, uh, you, my hair is not normally completely plastered to my head like this. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I'm super pumped for today's episode. Um, we're talking about Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, what they are and how to manage pretty straightforward pieces of information. And this is actually one of my absolute favorite topics because it's very near and dear to my heart because I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So I know what it's like to live with an autoimmune disease and what that sort of chaos looks like prior to getting a diagnosis and how subclinical hypothyroidism, non-autoimmune, or initially can sometimes be non-autoimmune and then about 75% of those cases end up being autoimmune disease and how that gets missed and things to look for, things to ask for, biofeedback um, that people might be experiencing. Um, and so we're gonna just get into it. Um, a little bit of my backstory on my own journey with Hashimoto's, just, you know, cause I know that if, if you are there, you, you kind of get it. Or if you are struggling with hypothyroidism and still not really seeing any kind of relief from your medical treatments if you are getting medical support. Um, I was in my early 20s when I first started showing sort of signs and symptoms of something. Wasn't feeling super great. Um, my hair was very brittle. It wasn't really growing. I was tired all the time. I was so tired all the time. I think that was like the worst thing ever. And I was having really horrible um, stomach pains on a pretty consistent basis that would send me to the ER in some situations. I'd be like in the emergency room and they'd be like, you're fine. And I'm like, well, I don't feel fine. Like I'm literally doubled over in pain. Can't move, can't walk, can't think. This is not fine. Thanks. No thanks. Um, however, it took uh, seven years, three doctor's offices, and finally seeing a specialist who, when they saw my blood work, 
and they did a ultrasound in office of my thyroid, found three nodules and looked at my labs and they went, well, we're going to biopsy your nodules just to double check a couple things, but you have autoimmune disease. And I was like, solid. Like actually was like, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with and I can now get behind it. And I had to make a whole ton of changes to my lifestyle, to my nutrition choices, to how I exercised. Um, I was previously trying to do competitive bikini competitions, um, in the sport of bodybuilding, but I didn't really vibe with an autoimmune disease, at least not for me at the time. And then I ended up sort of bowing out of that sport for reasons not related to my disease, but mainly just because I realized I didn't have the drive or the volition to want to actually participate that in a way where I would be competitive. And it was a lot of work for what might be very little payoff. And I had other things that I wanted to dedicate my time to, which is a totally valid, you know, choice to make. Um, but that's again, another story for another day. So let's talk about what is some of the biofeedback or what you would share with your doctor of symptoms with that might be signaling some issues with a low functioning thyroid or an autoimmune thyroid disease. Okay. Quick coffee sip. still in the morning for me. So I am drinking my like one cup of fully caffeinated coffee today. <sighs> okay. Anyway, so fatigue, right? I mentioned the fatigue. Um, you feel super tired, lethargic, even after you get a full night's sleep. Um, you know, many people will cite getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night and they're just still so tired. They could sleep all day and then still fall asleep the next night. And that's really frustrating because we're trying to love our lives. We're trying to see people. We're trying to go to our jobs and we're just tired. And so it makes it very hard to like engage in things in a meaningful way when you're just exhausted all the time. Um, unexplained weight gain or difficulty losing weight because of the, you know, slowed thyroid function. Your metabolism has slowed down quite a bit because your body's kind of in this survival mode. It's trying to not lose weight and it's trying to protect you because it has downregulated your metabolism. Your thyroid function and your metabolic rate are directly linked. Um, and so when we have a low functioning thyroid, um, and it starts to downregulate and you don't really make any changes to your nutrition or to your activity levels. And then you start to gain weight and you're like, but this doesn't make sense. I really didn't change a whole lot. And granted, there's a lot of other drivers and nuance that we have to consider when it comes to why somebody experiences unexplained weight gain. There's usually an explanation for it. Um, that could be one of the things. Um, cold sensitivity, again, our bodies are running at a lower metabolic rate so that body temperature regulation is slightly more difficult for us. So this feeling excessively cold, you're sensitive to more cold temperatures. Even now, that's something that I just kind of deal with. Even I would consider myself in remission with my Hashimoto's because I'm no longer on medication. My antibodies are very low. My biofeedback is very minimal because of the entire changes that I've made to how I live my life. Um, I've been able to manage with lifestyle and supplementation and dietary and exercise changes to accommodate my disease so that I don't have to rely on medication and I can feel very healthy. Um, I'm cold all the time. Like I'm just a cold person. Hence why like <laughs> my hair being wet in the winter time is not an ideal situation. But again, I just, I need to actually, I should do that later today, actually go to um, Ulta and get a hair dryer so that I don't have to walk around with wet hair while it's 40 degrees outside, which is pretty freaking cold for Arizona. 
but this is also why I'm really glad I live in the desert because I am just cold all the time. And, and, and it's not necessarily like I'm cold all the time, but I am more sensitive to colder temperatures and I will want to layer up. I will want to bundle up. I will want to be under the covers. I will want to be cozy. I will want to have a hot drink in my hand. Um, and that's just how the cookie crumbles. So um, it struggles with body temperature regulation, um, dry skin and dry hair. So again, I mentioned like my hair was very brittle. It was very thin. It was falling out. Um, another thing that I was struggling with at the time too, we talk about dry skin and dry tissue. Um, my eyes were very dry at the time. And I remember going to the eye doctor and this was sort of year two into trying to figure out what was going on with my health. And I was still five years away from an actual diagnosis. My doctor had to have me change how I was taking care of my contacts because I had like epithelial tissue from my eyes was like sloughing off of my eyeballs. <laughs> I'm like, this is so crazy. And it was just sort of a, as, once I got my health under control, the dry eyes and the tissue sloughing stopped being an issue. So I'm kind of attributing that correlation to this was probably due to my Hashimoto's um, and just, you know, this low functioning thyroid. Um, also constipation, so slower metabolism can lead to more constipation. I was having a lot of gut issues, although it was really the food that was causing a lot of the gut issues, but I was having very regular bowel movements and people who have low functioning thyroid probably are dealing with some level of constipation and it can swing to very wildly between like constipation and loose stool, um, sort of out of nowhere sometimes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, good times have by all. Um, and then sometimes depending on how severe your thyroid is, um, and this can sometimes lean more so on the side of Hashimoto's, you might have an enlarged th thyroid gland and that can cause changes to the voice, difficulty swallowing. Um, I've always had difficulty taking pills, at least in years prior. I don't as much anymore. It's more of a mental thing now, but taking pills gets difficult to swallow when you have an enlarged thyroid or several nodules on your thyroid. Again, people don't think about this. Um, and then also, uh, issues with brain fog, memory problems. I'm like, I was 23, 24 years old and I like couldn't put sentences together. I was teaching full time and I was just like, man, this is really hard. I like, and teaching is hard, right? It's not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination. And goodness knows if I ever do end up having children, I'm going to bend over backwards to help my kids teachers out because I've lived that life and it is not easy, not easy. Um, but I was having issues. Um, in addition to that, you might potentially experience some um, irregularities with your menstrual health due to low functioning thyroidism. Um, you might have more irregular periods. Um, you might have a heavier flow. Um, and then you might also be dealing with more water retention as your body tries to deal with the inflammation. So those elevated cortisol levels can sometimes lead to um, some more just retaining water and puffiness and inflammation throughout the body and then also elevated cholesterol. Um, and then when we talk about Hashimoto specifically, right, we talked about that enlarged thyroid, but this is where that's kind of really the biggest difference between just general subclinical hypothyroidism and autoimmune disease. <laughs> so they're very, very similar. And that's why so many cases of just general hypothyroidism and are actually autoimmune disease, but they get overlooked because doctors aren't necessarily looking at the right thing. So what is the difference between the two and how do we kind of go about potentially getting a diagnosis and ensuring that it's maybe not autoimmune disease and it really is just lifestyle driven hypothyroidism. Um, so we want to talk about the difference between the two. One of them is just a mild form of hypothyroidism where your TSH is slightly elevated. Um, your thyroid's working pretty hard. Maybe your T4 and your T3 is slightly 
not optimized. So maybe you have plenty of T4, um, your TSH is elevated, but your T3 is pretty low. And then this is where we'll talk about lab work here in a second, where I get really frustrated because doctors don't always look at free T3 and reverse T3. So quick diversion to now lab work. When we're looking at thyroid lab work, many doctors will pull a TSH and a T4, maybe a T3, a free T3. Um, and, and if we get that, we're lucky. But you want to also check the reverse T3, and you also want to check your thyroid antibodies. Um, and many doctors don't check the reverse T3 and the antibodies, and that's what really can kind of signify things being off. So you can have also a regular TSH, a regular T4, but a low free T3, an elevated reverse T3, and that in and of itself can signify issues with hypothyroidism. But if we're not, the doctors aren't looking at those numbers, it's really frustrating because a lot of times they'll just be like, oh, it's not medically necessary. This is why I just pull it for my clients. Like when I have somebody that starts working with me, we're getting lab work immediately because I don't want to like take guesses at things. There's a lot of things that we can do when it comes to biofeedback and addressing people's health that we don't necessarily need lab work for. But chances are this individual has never had anybody care to look at the deeper, the bigger picture with their health. And people deserve to have that information because it will definitely change how we address certain things. I have absolutely discovered clients who have hypothyroidism that is autoimmune disease and their doctors never bothered to look. Their doctors never bothered to look because you have to manage autoimmune disease differently than you do just general lifestyle hypothyroidism. Um, what causes just general hypothyroidism, um, deficiency in nutrients. Um, if you are a very high stress individual, um, yeah, it will also cause issues. So chronic stress can lead to hypothyroidism. Um, and then um, when we're dealing with autoimmunity, um, this is where we, the body actually develops antibodies and the body is then attacking the thyroid. And that's really the difference. But it's hard to sort of nail down because the symptoms of just general lifestyle driven, low functioning thyroid and then autoimmune disease are very, very similar. But you do need a blood test um, and you do need to check your antibodies. And if you can't do that, um, then you need to work with somebody who can. I do this for my clients because I don't want us to be in the dark and they deserve to have answers about what's going on with their body and better for us to be safe than sorry, because it's literally the easiest thing on the fucking planet to just go get labs. Like it's literally not a big deal. Um, and so when we talk about again, that autoimmunity, um, you want to get your TPO, um, and your, uh, thyroglobulin antibodies checked. Um, your TPO is going to be more indicative of, um, autoimmune disease specifically, but you still want to check both. So there's actually two antibody levels that you want to get checked in addition to your TSH, your free T3, your free T4, and your reverse T3. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a good time, but you do need a medical diagnosis to get it. So like, even if you were working with a functional nutrition coach like me and we got this and we said, Hey, there looks like there might be some inflammation in the thyroid. That's when we're usually kicking over to an endocrinologist and we're asking for more diagnostics, more tests, thyroid ultrasound because chances are there's going to be nodules present. If you have untreated and unmanaged um, autoimmune disease, it's a great time to be had. So thyroid testing, let's kind of get back into the lab side of things. Why doctors, what doctors typically pull and why it's not effective. And I kind of gave a brief overview of this. So let's take a look at the thyroid labs in and of themselves. So we have our TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, and what ends up happening is this thyroid stimulating hormone is what tells the brain to make 
T4. T4 is <laughs> the inactive, the inactive thyroid hormone. It doesn't do anything. It must convert to T3. Well, within that T4, we have free T4, and that's the part that's actually available to convert. So we're looking at your total T4 and your free T4. Your free T4 is the stuff that your body actually can use to convert into free T3. Now, we also have reverse T3. And reverse T3 is like the way that I was taught it, and I love this analogy, reverse T3 is like the evil twin to free T3. And there are receptors in the body that free T3 needs to get to, and like, the reverse T3, if there's too much of it, it's going to swoop in and sit in those receptors and it doesn't do a damn thing. So this free T3 is being created, but there's not enough of it in comparison to reverse T3. And so your body is not functioning optimally because it doesn't have enough of the available active free T3. So that's quite a pathway, right? That's quite a pathway. The thyroid is, is she's a complicated girly. Um, and so we have to look at all of those things together. But then what happens is most medical professionals, um, what I've seen is we'll get a TSH and a T4. And like, that's it. You're telling me the total function of my thyroid and what the inactive thyroid hormone in my body is. But that doesn't tell me anything about how my body is actually using or converting T4 to T3. So you'll hear me talk a lot about optimizing that thyroid conversion. That's getting that free T4 into the free T3, reducing reverse T3. I also love reverse T3 as a marker too, because it tells us a lot about like what the body might be dealing with from a stress perspective. So if you're dealing with like chronic stress, your TSH might be in a really good range and your free T4 might be in a really good range, but your free T3 and your reverse T3 might be the things that are out of whack. And how do you know that unless you check it? Again, I just, I will never understand Western medicine because why can't people know things about their body? Explain it to me. Make it make sense. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Going on. Okay. So what do we have to address when it comes to managing both hypothyroidism as well as Hashimoto's? So let's talk about what we have to do for both of these things. And then we'll talk about the differences of what really, really matters to um, Hashimoto's specifically, the autoimmune side of things. Okay. Coffee break. I have no idea how I used to talk all day being a teacher, you guys, because doing a podcast is like, is some work, yo. Ah, refreshing. Okay. It's like the first cup of coffee of the day is always the best and you're never going to be able to convince me otherwise. Okay. So, um, sleep and stress are two big things and you're like, Alina, are you for real? You're really talking about sleep and stress again? Yes. Yes, I am because it has to be addressed. One of the driving factors between, one of the driving factors from your hypothyroidism and your just general subclinical hypothyroidism, one of the driving factors is gonna be stress and stress management. If your adrenals are on overdrive all the time, you are more than likely going to be dealing with some kind of thyroid issue. I would say about, Eight out of every 10 individuals that I see and they come in and they've got some level of adrenal adaptation, they've got some level of subclinical hypothyroidism going on, if not thyroid inflammation from the antibodies due to autoimmune disease, okay? 
adrenals impact your thyroid and there's no way you can get around it and you have to learn how to manage your stress okay so this might look like adjusting your training intensity or actually working out if you're a couch potato so how you manage activity um, because movement is a stressor exercise is a stressor it can be a good stressor or a bad stressor is going to depend on where your current activity levels are so you have to take that into consideration you also have to think about are you so good at being a stress kid and are you addicted to being stressed because it makes you feel so important right we all know these people and we all have been these people likely at one point in time where somebody asks you how you are and your response is oh i'm just so busy like, do you want a gold sticker? Cause I don't really care that you're busy. I asked you how you're feeling. I asked you how you're doing. Like, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you overwhelmed? I didn't ask you that you're, if you're busy or not, because guess what? We're all busy. You don't win an award for being the busiest person on the face of the planet. Just, I hate to break it to you, but busy will make you sick. And so you can be busy without being stressed. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. You can be a busy individual without being stressed out, but it's your perception of being busy that is making you stressed out. And I get this because I'm totally guilty of doing this too, but I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm a busy individual. I am running a business. I have had a lot of family things going on in the last year or so, and we still have some things going on. We have to start planning for my father's Minnesota um, memorial service because we're gonna do a memorial service in Minnesota, which is where he was born, and inter some of his ashes at his family's gravesite or his family's cemetery where they're buried. And I would consider myself a busy individual. Like we're all navigating a lot of things, but I am fully in control of how I manage my stress. As busy as I get, I still go to therapy. I still exercise. I still make sure to eat regular meals, even though I sometimes am like, man, I really have a lot of work to do, but guess what? You're going to do shit work if you're hangry. I don't know what to tell you about that one. Also, I don't have time to exercise. Again, exercise can be a positive stressor and it can, or it can be a negative stressor. But I would say most of the people who are probably listening to this, you might need to be just getting more regular exercise in. you might need to be getting more steps in during the day. Um, are you doom scrolling on your phone at night? Because that I guarantee you is not helping your stress levels. And I'm sorry, but like, I just like scrolling on my phone because it helps me unwind. No, all it does is flip on your brain. It doesn't actually relax you. You need to find other outlets for relaxing that have nothing to do with your phone. Get a hobby. Start to learn to crochet, start to learn to knit, start picking up puzzles, get a craft of some kind. You don't have to be good at it. You just have to do it. Um, start reading books, find other things that aren't you scrolling on your phone to do with your free time. And then the biggest recommendation that I can make for anybody who is like a self-proclaimed busybody or stress cadet, you're always busy. You're always stressed. By the way, you don't get a gold star for it. Remember, but you have to learn how to exist in the quiet by yourself without being entertained. That is the hardest thing for people to do. Um, my favorite strategy for stress management that I have my clients implement is called five minutes of silence. <laughs> it's where I tell them, I'm like, just go and sit somewhere in a room for five minutes. Don't turn on your phone. Don't turn on a video. Don't turn on a TV. Don't turn on a meditation track. Just set a timer for five minutes, flip your phone face down and just like sit there or lay there. Can you be by yourself for five minutes? 
And if that sounds like the most horrible, uncomfortable thing that you could ever imagine doing, you probably need to do more of it because your body is in this constant fight or flight mode. And if you don't get yourself out of fight or flight mode, you're going to continue to be feeling like ass. <laughs> so anyway, so are you exercising? Are you eating regular meals? Are you managing your stress with proactive strategies? And I'm sorry, but if you don't know how to do these things or you don't have the accountability to do it, you need to invest in hiring somebody who can help you do it. You need to hire a coach because if you know you're not going to do it on your own and you don't know exactly where to start and you feel overwhelmed by navigating this lifestyle shift, you need somebody to walk you through it so that it actually sticks. Um, nutrition considerations also, like I said, eating regular meals throughout the day actually stopping to eat, not eating at your desk, not eating through your lunch. That's something that I got really bad at uh, the last two months of the year. Um, trying to play catch up on a lot of things. I was doing a lot of like working lunches, quote unquote, working lunches. And, um, my goal coming back into 2024 was like, bitch, no more working lunches. Your desk is not your dining table. Go eat in the dining room. Cause I work from home. So, um, I've started actually like taking my meals out of my office, which has been a game changer. And again, nobody's perfect. We all kind of slide into these traps, but you have to have the self-awareness and the strategies to adjust as needed in order to help take care of yourself. Um, and now an additional nutrition consideration that we might have to look at is uh, addressing your gut health. Um, there's a gut health questionnaire that I like to give my clients and I do when people do nutrition audits. And by the way, if you're interested in doing a nutrition audit, I'll leave the link in the show notes below. Um, you just send me like a three to five day food log. I send you a questionnaire with some questions and then I'll review everything and then give you some recommendations based on your own feedback. Just like a couple things that you can start to adjust. Um, and so that's kind of fun. I have a lot of people do those um, pretty regularly. So I'll make some time for those. If you guys are interested, I'll put the show notes in the, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but we have to consider, are you eating enough nutrients? Uh, even if you think you're eating enough fruits and vegetables, you're probably not eating enough fruits and vegetables. <laughs> if you actually looked at your food logs for a few days, you'd probably be shocked to find that you're not eating nearly enough variety of fruits and veggies, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals within your diet, and you probably need some more. Um, you know, getting in a really nutrient dense smoothie is a really good option to kind of sneak some more stuff in there. But also, um, you know, and I talked with this, uh, I was on a podcast, um, just the other day and we talked about how people will like track macros and they want a pop tart. So they don't eat the raspberries because they want to save the carbs for their pop tart or whatever. And it's just like, well, eat the raspberries too like eat the pop tart, but like also eat the raspberries. Like, I don't care. Just get some more vegetables and fruits in the mix, you know, screw your carb count, but like get your nutrients in because I guarantee you the nutrients are going to be way more impactful for you overall than you going over your carbs by 15 or 20 grams. And again, we're talking for just like general day-to-day -day people. We're not talking about advanced athletes. We're not talking about bodybuilders. We're talking about just, you just don't want to feel like ass anymore eat the raspberries or whatever fruit or vegetable that is that you eating alongside of whatever else that you're also eating. Rather than thinking about trying to take away or eat less food, start adding more of the nutrient dense stuff in just alongside your normal choices. And you'll see that things start to shift on their own. Um, the, but we sometimes have to look at your gut health, right? Again, lack of nutrients can really compromise the digestive lining 
you're very likely dealing with some level of leaky gut syndrome, which is just a compromised intestinal lining. Okay. Um, and specifically with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, we have to really be mindful of dairy and gluten. Um, dairy can be very inflammatory when you're already dealing with an autoimmune disease and gluten will cause the body to further attack the thyroid, causing your antibodies to essentially rise, um, due to molecular mimicry. So the, there's a, um, this concept of molecular mimicry means that gluten, there's a protein within gluten um, or an enzyme that is so molecularly similar to thyroid tissue that when you eat gluten, your body recognizes this as, as excess thyroid tissue and it creates more antibodies and all it does is just continue to attack, attack your thyroid. And that's unfortunately a conversation that people don't like to have. They're like, I don't want to give up gluten. I'm like, all right, good luck feeling like shit. Sorry. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> and it is tough. I was really like, meh, when I had to start giving up gluten, but I feel so much better now. And I would much rather not eat gluten than feel like a zombie all the time and feel inflamed all the time and be carrying around extra weight due to the inflammation. It's just like, pick your battles. You really have to choose. Do you want this or do you want that? And if you know better and you're still opting for things that are going to harm you, then stop bitching about it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. And especially if you're not trying to do anything different, right? Like I have people that I'm working with and like they're trying and they want to, and they're struggling with the relationship with certain things and behaviors, but they're really making an effort. And that's much different than just like choosing it and being sick anyway. And then complaining about you being sick. Like I have no pity for you. You have the opportunity and the pathways and the knowledge. Clearly you're listening to this podcast to do better for yourself so start shifting your choices. And when you start to go gluten-free, you don't have to like toss everything out in your whole pantry. Just shift one thing at a time. When this thing runs out, go replace it with a gluten-free something else. Learn how to make gluten-free cookies. I make the most amazing gluten-free oatmeal base cookies and I put raisins in them. We put chocolate chips in them. They are so good. There are so many good options out there for like gluten-free waffles, gluten-free cookies, um, gluten-free dressings and things like that, that are so much more readily available than they were like 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. It's so much easier than it used to be to maintain a gluten-free diet. And there's so many more restaurants that cater to it too. So anyway, that is all I got for today. Hopefully this was helpful talking about Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, the difference between the two, considerations that you have to make, and things to know what to look for, what to look for for lab work, what you need to do if you're not getting the answers, and some nutrition, movement, and lifestyle changes that you can make to support your thyroid. All right, if this was good for you, if this was helpful to you, please take a screenshot, post it on Instagram, tag me at elena.m.fit, and if you have any questions, my DMs are always open. I'll chat with you guys later. See you on the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into the What The Funk podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and a review and don't forget to take a screenshot. Tag me on Instagram. My handle is at elena.m.fit. I would love to hear what you want to hear on the podcast. I do respond to DMs. I would love to talk with all of you. I'm so excited for you being here today. Thank you so much for the support and I will see you next time.
just a quick disclaimer for the information found in the What the Funk podcast. I am not a licensed medical professional, mental health professional, or registered dietitian. The advice and recommendations given out on this channel and on this podcast are not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition or mental health condition. If you do think you have a medical condition, please speak with your medical provider. Please consult your medical provider before implementing any kind of supplement regimen or exercise regimen or nutrition regimen into your lifestyle, as well as be aware that listening to this podcast does not constitute a coach-client relationship. Thank you guys so much.